first invites us to set our minds in the noble disposition of bodhicitta uh, with the intention to study and practice dharma uh, in order to help all sentient beings throughout the limitless expanse of space and when wishing to establish each and every sentient being in utterly pure, totally perfect and most precious enlightenment. And in our uh, study of Dharma, we are looking at the three main levels of vows and at the first level known as the Pratimoksha or self-liberation vows. Of the self-liberation vows, there are two main categories, those for lay people or householders as they're called, uh, house people as they're called in the text, and those of renunciates. And um, this morning we were looking at the the, uh, lay person's vows. And in the lay person's vows, then the Opasaka's vows. If the, the vows of the Upasaka or the one who dwells in virtue, who lives in virtue, are sevenfold, the first of these, the very, very simplest form, is to hold the refuge, to have taken refuge. In fact, um, this can happen in two ways. It is possible to take refuge 
for 24 hours along with taking the eight precepts for 24 hours for those who take part in the um, fasting or half fasting ceremonies. So uh, we must already draw a distinction between those who take refuge for life and then observe some other vows or those who take refuge simply for a limited period. As far as refuge itself is concerned, then refuge is accompanied by its own advice or its own counsel, some advice on what it's good to do and some advice on the things which should be avoided. So first of all, the things which uh, need to be avoided. Mm-hmm. So the first, first of these is that having taken refuge in the Buddha, one shouldn't place one's refuge in any other deity. Therefore, it's necessary that we understand the qualities of the Buddha. And uh, it's, if one really understands who the Buddha was, what qualities, what his achievement was, then uh, there is a real reason for taking refuge in that being, one's seeking refuge in someone who has certain qualities. Otherwise, the refuge has much less a sense. And it's in understanding who the Buddha was and what his qualities were that we uh, take this choice to place our own heart's refuge in the Buddha as opposed to other teachers. Um, so then in general, this first prohibition is that um, if we have then taken that step and placed our refuge in the Buddha, then we don't seek refuge from deities, other gods. So, if we sum up in a very simple way, then who or what was the Buddha, then it's somebody whose physical body was utterly perfect without blemish. It's somebody whose speech was utterly perfect without any fault. It's somebody whose mind was utterly perfect without any fault. This is what we mean. A Buddha is 
nothing but goodness. So it's very important that we understand that we wouldn't place our trust and our, our refuge in something that was at fault or somebody that was at fault. And so, uh, therefore, the reason we're taking refuge in the Buddha was because everything was so utterly perfect in the Buddha. And then the second thing is that once we've taken refuge in the Dharma, then we should never do anything which harms any sentient being. And this is not just uh, restricted, it doesn't mean not hurting other humans or not hurting humans and some animals or animals. It means absolutely any being which has sentient life, uh, not making a good sentence, one shouldn't hurt any being that has sentient life. The third prohibition is related to the Sangha refuge. Once we've taken refuge in the Sangha, who are the finest of friends and companions, then we we avoid the negative influence of those who are what are called evil friends. That is, people we know but whose influence is um, deviating. When we look back on that, the first thing of the um, 
refuges is the Buddha. And Buddha is a name. We're taking refuge in, in the Buddha. And so we can apply that, that name just in the way that Rinpoche uh, described it, which is to whatever it is that is utterly pure in its body, speech and mind, uh, in every single aspect. It could be to anything. So we're not talking about uh, necessarily a person. It's a name. We're talking about the qualities. We're applying that term to an innate perfection and purity in every aspect. So when there is such a teacher, then there can be nothing but goodness and benefit. Such a person is never going to harm us, he's never going to harm anybody, because every single aspect is pure and perfect. And so then the, the second thing is in terms of the teachings. The teachings are what help us to understand um, what is benefit, what is nothing but benefit. And that is why uh, we need to, uh, out of our respect and refuge in the teachings, we need to avoid anything which harms uh, any sentient being at all because that is the is the opposite of um, the essence of dharma that's right. <laughs> and uh, with that last one, then if one does the contrary, if you hurt any other beings, it hurts them, it hurts our Dharma practice, it hurts ourselves, it's bad all around. Then for the third refuge, which is the Sangha, if there are people that we know and we find that when we're with them, uh, then uh, the goodness uh, slips away. Uh, they get you into doing things which are not noble, um, such as you know, they want you take you out, get you drunk, or um, uh, get, get you stoned, or whatever it is, and then because of that, everything's sliding away. Um, it's harmful all around. It's not helping um, anybody at all. And on the contrary, if that's the case, then by only staying with those people whose influence is neutral or positive, um, by, for the time being, avoiding those other ones, then it will be good. Then it 
ที่พัชชิงก็ส่งเจตุที่พัชชิงไปส่งเจตุส่งหัวก็ส่งเจตุอันใดอย่างมาเร็วที่มาดัชชาติที่ละชิวมาดัชชาติอันใดอย่างม
Donna, so cheap, Majapalamba, Mazopa, Shopa, the Kipa, Yopara, Dinoni, Ta, Donna, Naki, Titula, Sunjiko, Don Balona, there are Naki Sopala. One precept there means one of the four root precepts. The four root precepts for all the self liberation vows are these they are not to kill, not to steal, not to lie and not to perform sexual misconduct. So one needs to have taken one of those. Mm-hmm. This having refuge plus one precept um, has two different ways of being explained. Uh, It can be explained in two ways. Well, there are two different traditions, let's say. One of them is that the one precept can be any one of those four, whichever one one wants to take. The other tradition says that of those four, then if there is just one precept, it has to be the uh, precept of sexual purity and no sexual misconduct. Then the uh, second way, uh, sorry, one, two, three, the third of the seven is to have what's it's called to have a couple. To have a couple means that you have the refuge plus two of the four root precepts. So that could be, for instance, not to kill, uh, not to and tell lies, any two of those four plus the refuge. Mm-hmm. The fourth type of uh, upasaka 
is the one where you have the, it's called the uh, almost. This is the title, almost. And out of the four root precepts, one takes three. So it's the refuge plus three precepts. So that could be like not to, uh, not to kill, not to commit sexual misconduct, not to steal, for instance. Then the fifth category is called complete. That's his name, complete Upasaka. So there one has the refuge plus all four of the four root precepts. あ、and in that uh, last one, so that's the fifth one, there's the four root precepts, so that's the why it's complete, but then along with that comes the fifth prohibition of um, intoxicants. That's included, I forgot to say that. So now the sixth category is the same as that, but here the commitment to or the precept not to commit sexual misconduct becomes celibacy. In the previous one, the sexual misconduct means if somebody's married, then they're committed, to, uh, they're pledged not to commit adultery. Here it becomes uh, complete giving up of sexual activity. So that's called um, pure conduct, upasaka, brahmacharya, upasaka. Then that the bad gumi genia labare. Ta gumi genia, ta carrela nano, using yeni and logi because of the dombasun jitayoa. Tis on by the tom jetter, nigger tiki the mayan pa, ta tantis in tikila dombasun. Then he said jitalana. Then the seventh category is called uh, Gomi or Pasika. And um, this, this is the word that's been kept from the Sanskrit through the Tibetan and into, we might as well keep it in English, Gomi, G O M I, Upasaka. And this is somebody who keeps the eight precepts. So this includes the not singing, dancing, wearing the adornments or eating after midday. He keeps those eight precepts which we normally have for the 24-hour fasting precepts. Who takes those for life? So that person is then called a gome upasaka. Mm-hmm. 
If we take those seven categories um, and then we add to them the 24-hour precepts of fast, which are just 24 temporary ones, this gives us eight possibilities for lay people to observe these self-liberation vows from the 24 hours to taking refuge for life, refuge plus one precept and so on, as we've done today. So these, um, of those, the ones that are taken for life, are the best, and these sort of build up uh, more and more, so it becomes better and better, the more they are, the better they are. And then these, when we have the, um, like the last of those, the person who takes the eight precepts for life, then this becomes, I can say, the basis for then going on to the next step, which is that of the first level of ordination, novice ordination. It's not something totally different. This is uh, the basis for one thing. It can be built up to another thing, to another thing. So then now move on to look at the uh, renunciates vows and of those the novice vows. Uh, the novice observes uh, 33 main vows. Actually, if we develop these, then it enters, it becomes more details. But uh, if we take it uh, simply, then it's 33. So the many of these um, are very similar to the layperson's vows when the layperson is observing the um, the the eight vows. Then many of these are are quite similar, but. Uh, 
Of the 33, then four of them are the, uh, are at the heart of it. Four of them are the very important root vows. And they are not to murder, not, not to kill, uh, not to um, tell lies, not to have any sexual activity, if it's titled as sexual misconduct, and then I'm missing one. Uh, not to steal. Not to take what is not given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're the titles of the four things. In fact, it becomes, it can become very, very complicated. And Ramche says that in the actual, in the Tripitaka, where we have in the Vinaya, the actual explanations of these, there are maybe some 20, 30 pages on each of these, because when we say not killing, then exactly what does that mean? What has life, what doesn't have life? Uh, what is the intention or not the intention? Once one goes into the details, it can become very complicated for all of these things, what, is, what does and doesn't constitute a, a lie. And then also uh, there are all sorts of categories of, um, of, uh, of these things which is a, a root breakage, a branch breakage, and so on. It becomes very complicated. Um, we just won't have the time to go into all of those uh, details. And then the first one, not to kill, um, uh, that's the same as the layperson's vow, not to kill. And Trimity didn't explain that um, in the previous teachings because... Uh, he's leaving it to now because you only need to explain it once and then that covers all the times that we have this precept of not to kill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in this first one, which is not to kill, then uh, as far as the actual precept is concerned, and what breaks that precept or doesn't break it, then it is killing another human being intentionally that breaks the precept. Uh, killing an animal and so on, as far as breaking the precept is concerned, uh, doesn't break it uh, by the root. So, the killing itself can be done physically by the person. It can be done less directly through poison or something like that. Um, or it could be that one pays or encourages somebody else to do the act of killing on their behalf. Doesn't matter. Any of those instances counts as killing. So if in any of those ways one has consciously provoked the death of another human, then that breaks the vow. Then I know so this would uh, also count for abortion, in which I said once there's a, a living being that's in the womb, once it's uh, developed, uh, once it's a couple of days, um, then if there is killing in any of those ways, for instance, by taking chemicals, by taking uh, medicines or something, which would cause the uh, child to abort, then that counts as killing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, in general, if we come back to this first root precept of not killing, it's something that, uh, how can you say, it's very uh, easy for everyone to understand. Nobody thinks, who, who thinks that killing is good? Who doesn't think that uh, harming life, killing, is bad? So, um, it's a very straightforward precept. We can all understand that because what is it that's the most important thing for anybody? It's their life. If you take that away, you've taken away the most precious thing they have. The second one is stealing. 
And actually the way it's phrased is to take what has not been given. And in practice it means to intentionally steal that which belongs to somebody else. Again, this can be developed in endless details about how that's defined and the act of stealing and what, you know, what actually constitutes the action. But when there is the intentional theft of somebody else's possessions, then this breaks the, that particular root vow, whether it's for the lay practitioner who holds that vow or for the novice. Then, Rondo, Tomondo, Rongo, Jandao, Rongo, Kaka, Cassio, Tinisari, Hamahot, Nordo, Penandir, Pejuana, Bolonda, Jayuana, Yambang around the Retiana, on the Yamba dressing around the Gendo, Jimatana, the Yamba de Remazing around the Lady, Tendrino Yore, Tendrina, Gamba, Mepachomadu, Naro, the Mayan Pajin, you あ、ペナカカのノジオレノール。うん。ノールハコネ。ノール。うん。ノールレ。ペナディラドロジャンダウチワナ。うん。マロンデレ、マロン。ニエテポチョロンデレガテ。マロンゴティペコデクナ。う
understandable. It's natural goodness. It's common sense. People's possessions count very much for them. And by taking them, stealing them, then it causes pain and suffering. So it's something that's not difficult to understand. It's something that makes a lot of sense. And so then as Rinpoche says, the Buddha says, it's good not to take other people's things. It's good not to steal. It's who can... Uh, who could find fault with that? And then this means, uh, and this takes us on to thinking, when we think about the Buddha, we think the Buddha's good or you know, not so good or whatever, we shouldn't be judging the Buddha as a person by what he teaches, because that's really the gauge of, of the person. If the Buddha was saying things which uh, were weird or that didn't correspond to natural goodness, to what is beneficial, what stops harm, then we could um, have a not-so-good opinion of the Buddha. But when we look at the Buddha's teaching, we see that what he's pointing to is what is so naturally good and meaningful. This is why the Buddha is good. Nyomopatonjika ギャンバルグドチョアリジチョドモモチデニレオンキョバレギラテニキオヤタガロヨテニシエゴナペナポゴヨゴマレヤタポゴヨナヤタポゴロロダンドジドンサソノトンリトンリシナレカテリテリチ
in general, desire, attachment, are at the heart of all of the mind poisons. And then when there is sexual desire, this makes sexual attraction. Once there's attraction, then uh, people fall in love. Once they fall in love, there's very strong love. And once there's very strong love, for some things there's automatically very strong rejection for other things. This strong polarity of, of bias, of love and rejection, loving some things, hating others, loving some people, being against others, um, can lead to all of the other troubles. To Sometimes it can lead to fighting, to murder, to lying, to any of the other problems. Um, so then the good sense or the wisdom of the Buddha is to help us to take this commitment uh, to avoid sexual misconduct. For the novice monk or for the gome upasaka or for the brahmacharya upasaka, the one, then that means celibacy. That means giving up all uh, sexual attraction and activity. And for the other sorts of um, lay practitioner, this means avoiding adultery and having either uh, no partner or the same partner. So this vow is uh, the commitment is lost through sexual intercourse and this can be heterosexual intercourse or it can be homosexual intercourse uh, the moment that the intercourse actually takes place then the vow is lost. Uh, yeah, I forgot before there was more. Um, is that also once there is the we got the attraction, then through the attraction there's love, and then through the love or well, people settle down together, one can settle down together, then they have children, then they have to educate the children, earn the money, it can lead to lots and lots of very, very complicated situations. So therefore that, that was what I forgot before. Now, then Rumche just said that. Uh, so, therefore, uh, the Buddha's counsel is to help us to extract ourselves from all of those uh, complication and that harm. And uh, it's again something that makes a great deal of sense when we look around us in the world and see all of the trouble that comes out of that. We can see the Buddha is giving us a way of freedom. Of course, there are many details, but Rinpoche just remembered one uh, that we need to add. Uh, it can be heterosexual intercourse or homosexual intercourse, or it can also be intercourse with an animal that breaks the vow.
The fourth root precept is lying. And that is in fact broken um, only by uh, what is called um, what can we call it? It's often called lamas lies. Although that's not really the best way to put it. But what it means is when somebody pretends they have realization and accomplishment that they don't have. And through that they deceive other people into thinking or believing that they, they have spiritual qualities they don't have. If one pretends to have realization one doesn't has, have, then that breaks this precept. So this is the likes of saying that uh, telling people, oh, I had a face-to-face meeting with the deity or I've had this experience of the yidam, which these people to believe that somehow you have a special blessing or a special deep insight. Uh, by doing that, by telling that lie, if it's not true, then um, uh, that breaks the vow. Rimche has no idea how that is here because he says this is his first visit to the West, very first time. He doesn't have the language. He's not really met anybody except a few people he's met, uh, in inverted commas, in the retreat, in their interviews. So he says it doesn't give him a very large basis for understanding what does and doesn't go on over here. Uh uh 
ဆိုတော့ကျမ်ပုတ်တော့ကဝါတူဒီတူငါရုံစီဂိညာကတောင်းပိုင်းမေးကြီးတွေရေစနာနုံးပတာလေးမေးကြီးတွေချွာတော်
with Tibetan phrases, it sets their heads spinning. Uh, if one looks at the consequences of that, it's disaster all round. ตาเกียนนี่นะตะละพ่องบาละตาเกียนนี่นะพ่องบาสีมีเมริพ่องดิญีละดิญีตะพ่องบาตวนดาโบชอบดิญีตะพ่องเสกะเรดินะตุปะ
it takes away judgment. It makes the borderline between what is virtuous and non-virtuous, what is beneficial and harmful, fuzzy. One can't see clearly anymore um, what's a good thing to do and what's uh, a bad thing to do. Through intoxicants, uh, one's care, one's heed to always do what is honourable and good is lost. Again, we can see the enormous common sense of this um, because uh, when people do lose their care, uh, when through drink we can see how drink can lead to violence. Drink nurtures the negative emotions. It makes people angrier, more full of self-pity or whatever it may be. And one can, who could say that by not drinking there is some harm? It's, there's no way that one could criticize this avoiding the power of alcohol or any of those intoxicants. And on the contrary, one can see just how much damage comes out of it in the world. So the Buddha's teaching is good, it is wholesome, it is pointing to what is so, so meaningful. Um, another area of precept um, for the novice is that of abstaining from dancing, singing, music. And so at first you might think, well, 
It's actually quite nice. Nice tune. La, 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 la. It's, it's quite pleasant. Makes you feel good. Or a bit of a dance makes you feel uh, quite nice. So what's really what's what's so wrong with that? I said, well, and just like that, it's true. It's very very pleasant. Makes you feel happy. Makes people happy to hear music and to dance. But then if we look, it's part of a larger picture. It's almost, you could say, the thin end of a dangerous wedge. It's, uh, it's something that leads on to other things. And so what happens is that, um, first of all, singing and dancing and so on loosens up the mind in a way where we lose... Uh, two qualities which are defined in Dharma, which are called um, dignity and self-respect, I suppose we could call them. One is a, a, a nobility of being that's private, it's just within yourself, it's your own dignity of being, and the other is a nobility of being in the eyes of other people. And these tend to go, once we get singing and dancing, then uh, we have less heed to how we are, what we do, uh, the effect it has on other people, that gets a bit wild. This is one thing. And Rinpoche said, well, take the example of pop stars. You know, these are people whose whole lives are singing and dancing. They usually go down the tubes. I didn't, I said, there isn't a Tibetan for down the tubes, but it's more or less what he said. You know. He says, they don't, they don't become saintly. They tend to go in the wrong direction. And then also... Uh, so once you get singing and dancing, then also usually you want to have a bit of a drink with it, and then we just saw the dangers of drink. And in fact, when one looks more at what happens, why you want to do it, why you need to do it, the sort of world it's taking you into, the more and more you do it, the more things that come along with that. When we see, if you avoid that, how sort of simple and neat and how noble the life can be, then again, one can understand the good sense of the Buddha teaching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then another thing that the renunciate, or the, in this case we're looking at the novice, uh, renounces are jewellery, perfumes, um, cosmetics, all those sorts of things. And so then, I don't know if you all saw, but Rinpoche was talking about the, the earrings and the necklaces and the, <laughs> the different ways you can spray yourself. And um, So 
This is done, you know, to look good, smell good, and make a, a good impression. Uh, again, it's not so much the things in themselves as to what it leads to and the sort of state of being that it goes along with. Because the reason those things are used is so that um, is so that people have a good impression of us. It's something that nurtures pride. Ah. Okay. Kolo majur. Again, those things in themselves are not necessarily bad, but it's what they lead to and the sort of um, world and reality that they create. And if one wears perfumes, jewelries, and so on, it nurtures pride. And then once there's this feeling of, um, I'm good because I'm wearing this, I look good because I'm wearing this, then there's the looking at other people and what they're wearing, is it so good as mine, or this person's not so good, there's jealousy, it leads into a whole world of either for oneself or for others um, making these mm, projections around pride, around jealousy and competition. So by doing away with those things, then one takes away this need for a self-image, this competi- competitivity with other people. You know, Marchian もうやにさどんどさがちょっとぼたてにえ、ちょんやんちょっとぼられ。うん。だんだんだけな、ちょん、どうよ、パチェン、うん、だんだんやんだんだんやんだんだんやんだんだんやんだんだんやんだんだ
So this is literally so as not to elevate yourself above other people and um, there's, there's one exception for this which is of course when somebody is teaching Dharma then on the contrary for teaching the Dharma then there should be what is called a Dharma teaching seat which is elevated above other people so they look up to the Dharma teacher this is, this is in the scriptures but apart from that circumstance then for personal use there shouldn't be a high seat uh, or a throne and then Ruche is saying uh, many people here will know because they've been there that at the Kajuman Lams a couple of years ago I think it was um, His Holiness Kamapa decided to do away with all of this ranking of Rinpoche's where uh, he has the highest throne then somebody else has an almost as high throne and another one well maybe not so to avoid any sort of um, complication and who gets what and for the fact that it wasn't necessary because they weren't all teaching from those thrones then he just made everyone Rinpoche's, Tulkus, Kempos, whoever they were put them all on the same level except for the person who's on the uh, teaching, teaching seat ปีนานารอโซตั้งยอมมาปัจจิมบุรียอมมาปัจจิมบุรีนี่เจรานะยาพี่ยาพี่ยาพี่ยายุลานะนะเซมบัตเตซุจิบุนายุรีกะบุ
good sense of the Buddha helping us to get free from all of that complexity, giving us a way of living which just takes all of that complication away. Mm-hmm. Another area of these precepts is not to eat after the midday meal. And this comes from the earliest times of the Sangha, when in the morning you'd go out on the begging round, and the first part of the day was um, in part given over to getting the food that you need to eat to stay alive and support your body, which is the support for the practice. But then, having eaten uh, sufficiently at midday, then the body can survive to the next day, and the rest of the day after the midday meal should be given over to um, practice. So the reason for that rule is in order not to waste time. It's in order not to waste the time after noon, after noon, um, in anything else but um, but prayer and uh, practice. Then you know, see you in the morning. Uh Nijaka the next rule um, um, when they're in sets like we've been going through this is I think the 10th uh, category is not to accept gold and silver that's how it's expressed not to accept gold and silver and it means not to accumulate wealth this is the main uh, meaning because wealth is associated with uh, desire desire is never ending so because the whole point of these vows is liberating yourself and because the main thing to be liberated from is desire 
then uh, one does away with uh, building up any sort of personal wealth because when you've got a hundred then you start thinking maybe I need two hundred once you've got two hundred then you start thinking maybe I need three hundred once you've got three hundred then you think maybe four hundred would be a bit better and if you've got one kingdom then you think maybe two kingdoms might be more uh, practical and then when you've got two kingdoms three kingdoms and it's never ending the feeling of satisfaction and how much you need or ought to have adjusts itself with the volume of what you've got. So then uh, for the renunciate to have food in your stomach and a place to sleep and so on, to have these bare necessities is enough and it stops there without the building up of wealth. And um, this particular rule is... Um, is uh, taken to the letter and very, very strictly observed by the monks, for instance, of the Theravada tradition, where they, they will not touch or handle any gold or silver, and that's very, very, very honourable. And uh, the meaning behind it is this avoiding the desire that comes with building up wealth, desire and attachment. good. <laughs> Uh, Tonshogenyatokomi Mm-hmm. Uh, then of th- although when we went through them um, they weren't numbered as category 1, category 2, category 3 but there in this afternoon's teaching of the vows of the renunciate there were 10 different categories of those 10 categories then 9 of them are very very similar to what either the Gomiopasaka or the Brahmacharya Opasaka, or the Opasaka who is holding the eight precepts, observes. It's very, very similar um, commitments. And uh, so that's why we left it, it's been left until today to explain them. So although here we're looking at the renunciate's vows, it's pretty much the same when it comes to the uh, lay person who observes them. Uh, it still leaves... Uh, four more vows out of the 33. These are particularly, especially for Chimbi 
Sorry, it wasn't another four, it's another three. Uh, those three which are specific for uh, monastics are to uh, give up lay people's clothing, to adopt the uh, monk or nun's clothing, and to avoid despising uh, the teacher or the preceptor, the person who is your own abbot. Um, so to be very careful about uh, uh, yeah, any, um, any speech or activity which despises the, which, uh, despises the preceptor. So, it's not good then once one's taken uh, the novice vows is uh, you can't just think oh one day I'm more comfortable wearing lay clothes so I won't wear my uh, monk or nun's clothes today I just wear lay clothing um, that uh, uh, breaks one of these vows mm-hmm. So, so we'll leave the formal teaching on the uh, precepts there for this afternoon and Rinpoche invites your questions. Mm-hmm. About the defeats and the near defeats, was it? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you could have asked him yourself. The Derengi Pampa G, Pampa G, Pampa Pampa Tombo Suji Pare, Suji Pam Masuji Pare, Masuji Nana, Rong Suji Nanda, Yan Pekho and the Tunanda, Churu Sokilan and Chipamandu, Tuna Yanangon and Rangasi and Nanda, Pena Chendawji, the Sikula, Chegasi, one and Harapomanjundu Chipare, Pondinizi Nure, Tuni, Togunon Pena, Ponda Chuchi, or Tendisina, Manda, Tendizu Mepashe, one I am. Rung 
It was, it, just so I got it right, your question is about the difference between these four root vows being a defeat for fully ordained people and an almost defeat or like a defeat for novices. Is that, that's the question? Mm. About the four of them, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, because I rephrased your question wrongly then, but I'll give the answer to that anyway, just so it's clear. Um, uh, the vow itself, this word vow, dompa, means like a connection. It's a, it's a state of being, it's a quality of mind. It's not just a, a promise, it's not just a... And so, what a fully ordained person has, that bond they have, that nature of mind that they have through the precepts they're observing is one thing. And what a novice has is not quite the same. It's a training to become. The way it's presented, it's a training to become a fully ordained person. And the uh, when you have the, the bhikkhu, if we take the, the, the men's case, then there, uh, that vow is the training for the full liberation of the mind, which is the state of arhat. And the novice's vow is the vow of the person in training to acquire that state of mind that leads to the state of the arhat. So it's in the nature of being a novice and being a fully ordained person that there's a difference so therefore the vows that they observe, even though it's the same vow, because it's in a different context, it's given a different name. And the defeat, if, it, if the vow is lost, is given a slightly different name. It's because one is what a fully ordained person lost, with their particular quality and degree of commitment, that's what they lost, and there it's what a trainee lost, if we put it that way. 
But what causes the loss of the vow is exactly the same. It's by killing somebody, you know, like as Rinpoche said, by intentionally killing with your own hand, giving somebody else the weapon, using poison or whatever. If that's fulfilled, then whether you're a novice or whether you're fully ordained, you lost. It's a defeat. But the name that's given to it is different because the injury that's caused is different because the depth of commitment is different. ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็ตัวนี้ก็
Tini, nampak sungguh jemaah dapat membocin tu ya. Tapi cembala yang ridan je, orang yang tini gesa, tapi gesa tini membocin orang, tapi orang kari dasar orang rom je. Tapi korang terdegil ni sih cemer rom, tini orang kari tanda, jisong tanda, jisong tanda, jisong tanda, tanda sah. Korang rom yang dapat je, tapi dapat membocin di sini tapi berrom yang kari. And these are made very accessible to us by this really very vast range of possibilities. We've seen that we can have refuge, refuge plus one precept, plus two, all the way through to the eight precepts, the different types of upasaka, then the novice ordination. It means that somebody, uh, there's not just one option that you either can take or you can't take uh, according to a person's capacities, according to what they feel they can cope with at the moment, then you have the possibility of harnessing um, action. Singularity independence. In respect to? Chick-tong, ไอ้เออตาตะลานะเออเฮียตงนี่ยอเรอ๋อมุปอตงเจตงนี่ผาตงอ๋อผาตงจีดกะรีดินาอ๋อโดชูนี่มองเฉียดเออตงโบอ
Um, these uh, two topics uh, that uh, are part of the understanding of voidness um, can be understood in, in two ways, uh, through two systems. Uh, one system um, is an intellectual investigation of the nature of phenomena, uh, in particular of the things which seem like they're substantial, made of atoms, objects uh, that we observe. And so there, using intelligence, using logic, we need to, well, what needs to be shown is that they don't exist as a, as a single thing and that they depend on other things for their existence. Uh, that's one approach. The other approach um, is that of Mahamudra, and there uh, the whole of that depends upon understanding the mind. And it develops a, a first-hand experience of the mind. Once one understands the mind, one understands how the mind experiences its own radiance as an external world. And in that way, one comes to understand uh, the nature of the void nature of the various phenomena. And the first way, which is the logical way of approaching this lack of unity and this lack of independence, uh, Rinpoche hopes to explain here, uh, maybe next year or the year after, because uh, um, he'll be presenting a text which is called the Majjhima Entering the Middle Way, and in there it's very precisely and clearly um, developed. Uh, and this is part of our uh, sort of gradual development towards having a, a monastic college here where these topics will be uh, well presented. Mm-hmm. So if we put it very simply, then first thing, if we take this um, mug that's in front of Rinpoche as an example, then uh, first thing we need to understand how uh, whatever it is becomes the basis for thought and labeling. So when we see something like this cup, then we're aware of its shape, 
We're aware that it can hold water. We're aware of the various designs and colours and everything that makes it the cup that it is. でまあ、ロサタテンディレテンディアンジハコムンゴナリパヤポンドマンディ。てな、ポンポンアロンウニ、ダラナ、カランダボヨントンマンディ。うん。ほんや、ゴンゴンダウントンマンディ。た、
but you took great care not to lose even one tiny particle. So everything's there. Everything that was there when it was a cup is still there, but now you call it a pile of dust, a pile of fragments, not even that, dust. And so what changed? What changed was its shape. What changed was its function. But in terms of what was actually there, nothing changed. You still have every tiny bit because you made sure you didn't lose one atom of it. Nothing changed. It's exactly the same thing. It's just been reduced to a pile of dust. But now it's a pile of dust. When we see it as a cup, we don't see it as a pile of dust that's in the cup of a shape, a shape of a cup. Um, we <laughs> see it as a cup because it has a certain function. And uh, when it's a cup, we don't see it as, as, as a pile of dust. When it's the dust, we don't see it as a cup. As an X cup, we see it as a pile of dust. So simply because of the function, shape and colour, then we attribute an identity to it, which is a cup. Simply because of how the, exactly the same thing is later, we attribute an identity to it, a pile of dust. Mm-hmm. ดิตุลานะดอกโตปายอมาเรตาจีซะละนี่ทาลาเซซาดิเตลนี่กะจีอิโอเรลานะมันดิอ่ะนี่กะจีมันดิเตลาทาลาจีมีลาโมเรคอ
First, it was one thing. It was a cup, one thing. Of course, if we get nitpicking, we can say it's got a lid and it's got a handle, but, I mean, just taking it generally, a cup, one thing. Now that we've crushed it, we've got not just two or three, we've got hundreds, thousands of particles of dust. It's really many, many... It's become many, many, many things. If we um, smashed it really progressively, taking our time, uh, then we could have first big fragments and then small fragments and then we gradually get down to calling it a pile of dust and then if we got some more sophisticated means we could take each of the bits of dust and break it down into atoms and then we could smash that down into subatomic particles and each time that we broke it down to another level we give it a different name it will become something else for us we go through a whole range of identities for that same thing as it broke down into more and more pieces Through thousands of lifetimes of habit, we've, and through this life's habit, we've come to associate words and notions with experience. So when we see something like that, cup, we identify it as a cup. When we see a pile of dust, oh, that's dust. And as far as whatever's there is concerned, it has nothing at all to do with what we name it. Whether we're naming it cup, whether we're naming it dust, whether they're calling it atoms, uh, this is to do with the projection or the uh, labeling or the identification of our minds. Mm-hmm. 
If something really existed, uh, but then we'd need to define the term exist, which is, uh, this is not what Rinpoche said, but it's, it's a problem. Uh, in these texts, when we talk about existence, uh, when some, for something to exist, it means it exists in its own right independently. Uh, if it really existed in its own right independently, any substance, any object, would be indestructible because it exists in its own right as such. Not made up of little bits and pieces, but it exists as one thing. It would be, by that very definition, indestructible. You could rub it, you could sand it, you could polish it for centuries. Day after day after day, nothing could wear it away because it exists as one thing in its own right. It has that identity. This is what exists means in those terms. But that's not the case. We know that if you take any object and you keep rubbing it or polishing it or sanding it or whatever you do, gradually it goes away and in the end you could rub it down to the finest thing. There's nothing left. It just all disintegrates. So things can be worn away because they are composed of tinier and tinier components. They are not one thing. They are an amalgamation of many things. So if we take some things in nature, then they've taken centuries, millennia, millions of years to build up bit by bit from tiny particles. Um, When it comes to the question of yes, we can deconstruct things down to tiny particles and then down to atoms, but do we come down to some basic building blocks which are then indestructible? Then we come to a debate that was uh, held, not held, a debate amongst the various early Buddhist traditions and there there are all sorts of different opinions about what would be the tiniest fragments of the universe, if any. Uh, but it's something they were talking about two and a half thousand years ago, about whether there would be a tiniest indestructible particle. But already there's the notion that nothing is a thing all by itself. It's built up from these tiny things. Whether those tiny things in themselves exist or not, 
is a question of early debate. Uh, then if we go through the different schools, you get the Vaibhashikas, the Sautantrikas, the Chittamatrin, the Majamaka, there are so many different levels of Buddhist philosophy. Some of them believe in tiniest atoms, some believe that there is only the experience of mind. It becomes a very vast and interesting uh, debate. But all of them agree, all of them agree that uh, what we are doing is with our mind we are labelling whatever is or isn't there and that what we are trying to establish the voidness of is the labels. ตาลอยจะชอบมองบ่ล่ะซ้อนตรงกันซะตาเฉลอซะนึกซะบาเรคะกอจิเรซันติงตาติบาตองจิกะกะริลาลิโอเรลานะตามีเขเจกิโอเ
how can it be when you come down to that tiniest level, can there still be space? Can there still be directionality? Um, does the notion of space exist on the tiniest level? And as well as in time and how they interact? These are old questions for Buddhists. And so we could say that... Um, and then it develops on from that when you go up through the different Buddhist uh, schools. But that was the basic premise, that there are these tiny tiny particles which link within space. Uh, so we could say that the Buddha was really, in one way, a very, very great scientist. A long time ago. Then you know, I'm going to tell you about the story of the Buddha. What we're discovering through the technology that we have now was already known without the technology through the wisdom of a clear mind. What we call primordial wisdom. I think we're, we need to stop for the Mahakala prayers to happen. To mm-hmm. mute, mm-hmm. yeah. で、うん、ちょっと結論だで、え、シェソニ、ルクソニエレ、チャチャチャンポテ、ランゲセマハコナ、デメナ、デメ、モポランラ、リペキコネテ、タチェタンゴケンド。うん。デメナ、チャチャ